Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Um, the uh, the conservatives um, are, for the most part, what they call originalists, uh, who believe that the Constitution should be interpreted as the people who ratified it in the late 18th century understood the words to mean. And as um, the, Justice Alito's opinion says, um, there, there's, the Constitution doesn't mention abortion, so there's no right to abortion. That's the end of the story uh, to him. Um, other justices feel that uh, the Constitution has to be interpreted in light of how the society has changed and um, they sometimes described as a living constitution. And uh, abortion rights was certainly, Roe v. Wade and the decisions ratifying it certainly was a decision that was based on uh, a living conception of the constitution. Um, the, the originalists are winning. And, uh, and thank goodness the originalists are winning. That was Jeffrey Tubin over there at CNN. This coming after the recognition 6-3 decision, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, guys. So good to be with you. I wanted to get to the pros. William Jacobson joins us right now. Uh, Cornell Law Professor of the Mind behind LegalInsurrection.com and the article you already have up uh, from the Alito Majority Opinion, 6-3, concurrent uh, opinion from the Chief Justice. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Uh, let's talk about this decision, your take on it, and what it is that Alito, in, in, finally now that the, the real decision is out, what it is he is saying. Well, I think, you know, without comparing it word to word, it appears to be very similar to the leaked decision. So whoever the leaker was, uh, you know, I think it's clearly got to be, you know, some leftist clerk or something like that uh, who knew this was coming uh, and tried to interrupt it. Uh, You know, the decision, I don't think really is a huge surprise, you know, given the makeup of the Supreme Court, given um you know, the weakness of the original Roe opinion, where yeah, I think even Ginsburg and others acknowledged it was on shaky ground. And really, the, the argument that has been made is a political argument that we, you know, we like that decision. It's We politically agree with it, and therefore you should leave it alone because it's been there a long time. And now you have a Supreme Court that's willing to say that it was wrong. I think uh, Alito used the term it was egregiously wrong from the start. And the fact that it's been sitting there for 50 years doesn't make it something we can't look at again. Let me jump in really quick, sir. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. It was wrong. And and, and I uh, argue this in my own way about a usurpation of states' rights. Did they discuss why it is wrong? Why was Roe v. Wade wrongly decided 49 years ago? Right. Uh, First, let me say this whole thing with the decision and the concurring and the dissent. It's over 200 pages. I think I've read enough of it to understand it, but I haven't studied it in the hour since it came out. But I I think 
you know, basically they're saying there is no the Constitution is silent on a right to abortion for most of our country's existence until, you know, uh, middle 20th century. Um, it wasn't even really nobody even considered that this would be a constitutional right. There's nothing in the language. And this is simply something that the court in 1973 made up. So I, I think what he's saying is that this was something that had been left to the state process, to the democratic process, to the political process. And the court was wrong to take it away because there's no historical basis. There's no basis in the language of the Constitution. There's no basis in the writings of the people who wrote the Constitution. There's no basis for most of our existence as a country uh, to recognize such a constitutional right, a federal constitutional right, as opposed to a state-based political right or state-based constitutional right to you know, have an abortion. So uh, that, I think, is basically saying this was wrong to take the issue away from the states and away from the political process. So now we get into some of where this dissent is. And I've been reading a little bit of it from Kagan, from Sotomayor, and from Breyer. And they wrote this together, certainly not as, as has been noted, unprecedented, but uh, un, un, unusual. Um, the dissenters write, whatever the exact scope of the coming laws, one result of today's decision is certain. The curtailment of women's rights and of their status as free and equal citizens. I find myself tremendously bothered by uh, commentaries like this and, and by uh, specifically Sotomayor, but Breyer and Kagan when they join in, because the argument they seem to be making is not one of the uh, constitutionality of the law, but rather of the cultural significance of decisions being overturned. There's been a lot of pressure put on the Supreme uh, Court justices. Am I wrong in, in making the assumption, the declaration, actually, that the court is not supposed to be subject to the whims of the people or of the mob outside their actual door? Well, I, I think, in, you know, in theory, that's right. And the reality is it's how you get on the court is an intensely political process. You're nominated by a president and you're confirmed by a, the Senate. And it's a totally political process. But the hope is that once you are on there, that you can leave those politics aside. But we know that that's not true. You know, they're human beings. They're subject to the political process. But I think this time it's gone to a level we've really not seen with protests literally at their doorsteps, with threats, uh, with an attempted assassination uh, of somebody who showed up at Kavanaugh's house with a gun intending to kill him, but was dissuaded by the presence of federal marshals. So this is highly unusual. Yes. So I think the notion that the judges can ignore politics is great. You'd like to think it could happen. But the reality is, I think it always they always feel those pressures. You'll remember back with Obamacare. I, it's hard to know whether this is confirmed, but it was repeatedly reported by people who claim to know Justice Roberts was going to be part of the uh, what would have been conservative majority overturning Obamacare. And because of a pressure campaign, including by Obama and by the Democrats, reportedly switched his vote. And so they are subject to these sort of pressures, particularly 
the pressures the Democrats use, which is it's going to delegitimize the court. You're going to damage the court forever. And somebody like Chief Justice Roberts, who has a particular concern for the court's reputation in society, is susceptible to that sort of pressure. And that's always been his problem, that he is desperate not to politicize the court, yet he is the one who who has done it most. Let's move into now the part two, where people believe that this overturning means abortion is illegal in the United States. It's not. It goes back to the state. So a lot of this is a state's rights uh, conversation. What what are the... The, the subjects, what are the decisions now facing states uh, across the country? Well, I think most states have probably already made up their minds. There are many states which have incorporated essentially Roe v. Wade into state law and gone beyond that. New York, California, I think have certainly New York have essentially protected uh, a woman's ability to terminate a pregnancy up until, you know, birth. Uh, and other states will go that way. So I, I don't think it's going to change a lot of minds. I think that uh, state laws which would severely limit or even prohibit abortion, which have been on hold, will now become effective. But the, I think everybody knows what the landscape is going to be. There's going to be a very limited number of states where there's a you know pretty substantial crackdown on abortion. There is going to be a larger number of states which have already announced they're going to become tourist uh, destinations for abortion. Uh, New York, California, I think Connecticut have already said they're going to uh, use their state funds to bring women to their states to have abortions. And uh, whether a state could prohibit someone from traveling to do that is probably not the case. I mean, Justice Kavanaugh, who is in the majority here in his concurring decision, said that he does not think that prohibiting a woman from traveling, say, from Mississippi to New York uh, to have an abortion is something that a state can do. So I think you'll see those battles working out. But I think we all know what the result is going to be. In a majority of states, abortion will be freely available, in some cases way beyond what anybody ever imagined. And there will be funding for women from states where it's not readily available to travel to get it. I think that's probably how it'll it'll work out. Uh, one of uh, the people I I work with from WIBC, Eric Berman, the chief political correspondent, uh, talking about Clarence Thomas, uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, saying that this decision on on overturning Roe v. Wade should uh, bring the court to reconsider these other precedents that rely on due process. So going back to the 14th Amendment, uh, the Obergefell decision and the Griswold decision, which is about uh, states not banning uh, contraception. Um, Do you believe that that's going to be, does, does this decision now open the door? And do you believe that we'll start seeing those cases try and get argued in front of the Supreme Court? Well, whether somebody tries is one question. I, I don't think they'll succeed. Uh, Kavanaugh, again, who was part of this majority, already put right in his opinion that those cases, um, this does not call into question those cases. So I, I, I don't think they would have a majority, even with the Supreme Court, to, to go that the rest of that way. So I don't, I don't see that as a possibility. That's not to say someone can't try. Of course, people can try whatever they want to try. But uh, at least one of the justices in the majority explicitly said he would not go along with that. And my guess is that they would not have a majority to do that, even if one or two wanted to.
Before I let you go, uh, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, uh, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Um, the, the, this whole uh, conversation, uh, was, was this whole fight, if you will, uh, comes from a, a very interesting place, and it was uh, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, who, who brought this up, that the court, in deciding Roe, went too far at the time. They never had to go this far. It never had to be this wide-reaching. Did she have a point? Meaning, if the court had simply decided to, on a very minimal level, leave op- leave open uh, the, the right to an abortion and not gone for, for breadth, but rather just a, 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 could there have been a simple decision that it just would remain and we wouldn't be engaged in this today? Well, I think that's possibly true because one of the interesting things that a lot of people have pointed out when the Supreme Court ruled on same-sex marriage, public opinion had already shifted. It never shifted on abortion. And so when the Supreme Court ruled, yes, there were some people who, on whatever their grounds, objected to it. But public opinion had already shifted on that. Society had already changed. Whereas with abortion, it was right down the middle of the country when it happened, and it never changed. And that's really one of the amazing things, is that despite the passage of time, if anything, uh, the decision has become more controversial as opposed to same-sex marriage, where it's really not a controversy anymore, and that's because public opinion was already shifting. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us so quickly uh, after the decision coming out. Uh, Stay here. More to come. I'm Tony Katz. Because it certainly is not one. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. But the Congress will continue to act uh, to overcome this extremism and and protect the American people. Today, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court has achieved their dark, extreme... Well... That's uh, nothing more than the legislative branch attacking the judicial branch. I didn't know that that was acceptable. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Nancy Pelosi was out of her head today. Absolutely out of her head. Exercised by Leader McConnell on the Merrick Garland nomination. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm about truth and honesty. Mitch McConnell said when Justice Scalia passed away in the early month, what is it, February, the beginning of February, the end of January, that we didn't have enough time in an election year to confirm a justice. And so Merrick Garland was not even given a hearing with 11 months to go. And yet, 
when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, before the word was out that she had died, he had already said, we're setting up hearings, when it was only weeks until the election. The inconsistency, the hypocrisy, I don't respect that process, A. B, that some of these justices who came before the, uh, the Senate said they respected precedent and privacy. They must have a different view of precedent from what their votes have, their vote was today on Roe v. Wade. No, I don't respect a process that criminalizes a woman's right to her reproductive freedom. Jake? First, we should be clear that abortion is not a reproductive right, if only because abortion does the opposite of reproduction. Second, you asked the justices what they think about precedent. They said they respected it. But when cases are illogically considered, it is the court's responsibility to do something about it. Plessy versus Ferguson was wrong, replaced with Brown versus Board of Education. Should we somehow believe that the Dred Scott decision should still be upheld about who is and who isn't free? Her argument is one that says because she believes in it, it must remain. Yet she, amongst many, many other progressives, don't believe that the Second Amendment should be allowed to stay even though it's written in the same time as the Constitution. That's a special, special kind of anger, a special kind of twisted. As for Mitch McConnell, uh, you know what? I'm mad at him for his vote on the gun legislation, which, man, that got wiped right off the page. 15 Republicans vote for this gun gun legislation? I'm not a fan of it. There are things that I would have been okay with if it had just been that. It's not just that. Money for mental health? You, you, count me in. Uh, you're going to start talking about what you're going to do about schools and maybe uh, hardening targets? I'm in for that. The look into uh, juvenile files, the red flag law stuff, I have more questions for I, I, it was a move too quick without thinking of the ramifications in my view. I would not have voted for it. I'm angry with my, my senator, uh, Todd Young, for voting for it. Big mistakes. But for them, the Second Amendment is up for debate, and yet abortion isn't. And remember, they're focused on this being about abortion. They're not focused on the constitutionality. I'll, I'll get into that as well. I had a chance to speak with Congressman Jim Banks because not only is this going on, but we also have the National Defense Authorization Act. Is that going to get the money? And what's it going to do? Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. I'll share it in a, in a little bit. President Biden uh, took uh, to the microphone to decry the decision of the Supreme Court and went so far as to remind protesters to remain peaceful. Threats of violence aren't acceptable. We don't want intimidation. I don't know where he's been for the past couple of months since the leak regarding intimidation. I said it. I meant it. Biden allowed intimidation to take place of Supreme Court justices. He is guilty of it. End of list. What's interesting is that while he's 
on the mic doing that, you've got Representative Ocasio-Cortez in the crowd, just part of the chants. Saying that the court and the decision is illegitimate. And then starts chanting into the streets. You got you got a president telling you um, stay peaceful. You have a representative inciting a riot, nay, an insurrection. No, producer, I can't say that. That's not that's not allowed. Is is she clearly inciting people to 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 an action that one could consider violent? Yes. Now, will it be violent? I can't tell you. I certainly hope not. But. Mixed messages, people. That's where we are at. And right now, while there's people out there in D.C. and around the Supreme Court, things are peaceful. I mean, there there could be something that's happening right now or something that's happened in the last you know hour that I don't know about. But right now, it is peaceful. And I'm just sincerely, sincerely hoping it stays that way. Who knows what tonight's going to bring? Going to keep an eye on that. I will um, share with you what it is that Joe Biden said. And, you know, Indiana, where I live, where many of you live, Indiana is going to be really, really interesting when it comes to this conversation. What are legislators already saying, including the Marion County prosecutor? I'll have all that for you. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So we know it's a busy day. We've got Roe v. Wade overturned, a 6-3 decision. You have concurrent opinions from uh, some justices. You have Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer in the dissent. This is what the leak showed. This is what we have. You also have, of course, the decisions from yesterday on New York State uh, Pistol Rifle Association versus Bruin and how that has been responded to in the media. We also have a series of things going on like the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, and how that is being worked right now to bring more dollars, another, was it $30 billion uh, to the Pentagon? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Congressman Jim Banks joins us from the Indiana 3rd District, Fort Wayne area. He chairs the Republican Study Committee, and he has been working overtime. Uh, on uh, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, for the 2023 fiscal year. Before we get into the NDAA and some of the decisions that we saw uh, regarding the Second Amendment, it, it's it's all just happened, right? Every uh, opinion right now starts with, where are you on the court overturning Roe v. Wade and overturning Casey, for that matter? Uh, your immediate thoughts, sir? Well, this is uh, obviously a historic moment, and we still have a a great deal more to learn, Tony, but I celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This is something that all of my lifetime I look forward to being a part of, and uh, here I am on Capitol Hill this morning. uh, I'm overwhelmed with joy to think about the babies whose lives will be saved moving forward, and I'm I'm glad that we live in in one of the most pro-life states in the country. So now the ball is in the court of 
our state legislature to pass the strongest pro-life laws uh, in the country at the state level. And I call on Governor Holcomb and our state legislators to go back to work immediately to make sure that that's done. But this is big news, great news. And uh, we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for uh, President Trump appointing pro-life justices, uh, a, a significant decision that's only made possible because of because of uh, the, the the pro-life picks that he made on the court. So I'm, I'm also, uh, in this moment, I'm grateful that uh, we had the most pro-life president in history in office for four years and an opportunity to appoint uh, pro-life justices. As we have been making um, clear, this is a conversation not about pro-life and pro-choice, but rather a conversation about the Constitution and whether or not the Constitution holds uh, that uh, abortion is a right and whether or not Casey and Roe versus Wade were uh, uh, engaged uh, soundly on the legal basis. Uh, But there's no doubt that the pro-life side has been for 49 years uh, fighting uh, this fight, and and this is uh, their reward. Uh, We will get in... uh, to it a, a little bit more throughout uh, the show, but let, let, let's let's go back to what you're working on on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. You're working on the markup. We're talking about an outrageous amount of money, as always. What are the what are the things that we're trying to get done in this, as opposed to other ones? And what what is the what is the pushback? Where are we going? Well, right now we we recognize the the threat that China poses to the United States militarily uh, as a national security threat. So the NDAA, which is the the one bill that the Armed Services Committee passes every year, deals with everything related to our military. And I've been a leader on the front lines of modernizing uh, our our military, of, of, uh, of doing better to develop the sophisticated emerging technologies that it will take to face the, 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 the threat of China and um, uh, the, the, the sophisticated way that they've, they've, their, their civil military fusion approach in China uh, is something that we've fallen behind in combating. They have more sophisticated weapons. They have more sophisticated technologies. How they approach uh, warfare is, is, uh, is different than the way that we've historically done it. So we're investing more in innovation. And I'm, I'm chairman of the cyber and I'm, I'm ranking member of the cyber and uh, innovation uh, subcommittee. So uh, everything that we deal with from quantum computing to cyber to artificial intelligence is all about investing in those new technologies. And this NDAA that we passed out of committee uh, early yesterday morning uh, invests more in that than ever before. Is Is our military, as you see it, becoming adept to the changing landscape it's it's no longer a war with russia it's no longer going to be a cold weather uh, kind of fight have we really turned the corner on this i mean we we hear the story about uh we see the u.s navy hey let us teach you about pronouns we hear that critical race theory is being taught at west point even though it may be to a very very small uh class or grouping of of, of cadets and people wonder whether or not this military sir has what it takes to fight the fights not just necessarily in in a in a physical skill set but in a mentality uh skill set is there a conversation that goes on within this about what it is we actually train for yeah, this was a big part of the, the fights between Republicans and Democrats on the committee. We had a, the hearing started at 10 a.m. on uh, the day before, and then we wrapped up at 2 in the morning. And a number of our fights were over this. I mean, uh, we, we agree on our side, uh, Tony, that wokeness is weakness. And if you, 
if you advance wokeness and push uh, critical race theory, anti-Americanism on our troops and our military academies, that projects weakness to China, which is the opposite of the 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 opposite of the, of the big point of why we have a, a military, a strong, mighty military to deter our adversaries. And instead, when we advance these uh, these weak uh, causes that America that makes America look weak, we're inviting our adversaries. So we had some of these debates, and and we defeated uh, one significant amendment by one vote. Uh, that would have uh, that would have advanced uh, wokeness on military contractors of, of privately owned businesses who do business with the Pentagon. We also argued a number of other amendments that would stop the academies and military institutions from teaching critical race theory, anti-Americanism. And by, by the way, it's the it's the, the 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 cost of doing that. If you if you tell our troops that America is evil, inherently racist. Um, uh, it, and you strip away the patriotism of our troops, how can you expect them to, to send them off to war and, and uh, bravely fight, potentially die for our country? So it doesn't make any sense. And it's not coming. It's coming from the, the administration and the, the top levels of our military leadership that have been appointed by by Joe Biden and these Democrats. <clears throat> and we got we got to fight back against it when we get the majority back in November. Uh, we, we've got to hold them accountable for it. But in the meantime, in these committee hearings, we've got to fight back against them and, and uh, prevent them from taking it even further. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks from the Indiana 3rd uh, District, chair of the Republican Study Committee. One of the reasons I had, I had said, hey, I, I, there are some things you and I should talk about, is uh, in, in these cultural conversations, as, as we have them, we talk about critical race theory, and of course, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and more, of course, information is just flowing out, the concurring uh, opinion from, from John Roberts uh, amongst them, is that you and Senator Tom Cotton, uh, Senator of, of Arkansas, introduced legislation, this was reported by Fox News, that would allow adults to sue doctors who perform gender transition procedures on them up to 30 years after they turn 18. Is this about people being able to sue for something that happened when you were a child? Or is this about being able to sue about something that happened as an adult? And why it, 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 are, are you pushing a social message with this? Or did you find that there's a real need for it? Well, it's definitely a real need for it. I mean, the, these quack doctors that are preying on our kids and turning uh, boys into girls or girls into boys as as underage um, as children, th- those doctors should be held account- accountable for that when those kids realize that they were misled. And, and that's what our, that's what Tom Cotton and I we introduced a bill that would provide would would create that cause of action, that opportunity for. Uh, those doctors to be held accountable later in life when those kids realize that that was a that that, that was a mistake uh, to undergo those types of procedures at a young age. So this is about protecting our kids. Uh, it's it's more than a message. It's about accountability uh, of these quack doctors that are that are performing these surgeries, these types of treatments, uh, because we we do hear stories from those who uh, le- uh, after they undergo one of these. These uh, this treat, the type of treatment or these procedures, they they later regret it when they mature and, and come of age and realize that that was a mistake. Uh, these doctors often without the consent of parents. You know we have we have uh, treatments that, that are being provided to kids in schools without the 
explicit approval of their parents. I mean, this, this stuff is, is shameful. And uh, it's, it's definitely worth it, Tony, to uh, hold these uh, hold some of these uh, doctors accountable that are that are performing. By the way, these surgery costs thirty thousand dollars and these doctors are, are profiting hugely from performing these types of surgeries. So uh, they, they should be held accountable for taking advantage of our kids. And that's what Tom Cotton and I are trying to make sure uh, to allow that would allow that to happen uh, as we expect this to be uh, something that a lot of these kids come to regret um, in later years. Holding people responsible is one thing. Claiming that the profit is the reason to hold them responsible, sir, all due respect, not something I can get down with. I mean, they're, they're allow- doctors are allowed to make a living. I, don't, I never like anything that goes in that direction. Well, we're talking, again, we're talking about doctors taking advantage of kids and turning boys into girls as as uh, as they are children, not not old enough to make those mature decisions themselves. And what, what I'm saying is that there, you know, there is a there is a profit here that the doctors are making off of. But this is larger than that. This is about this is about what these these uh, kids are being influenced to do at a young age uh, when they aren't aren't mature enough to understand the ramifications of those decisions. Oh, I don't disagree, sir. No part of me disagrees whatsoever on that subject. Because whenever I hear the word profit, you know, that sounds, that that, that always hits me. But I'd like to turn the question just just a a touch, Congressman. Um, Where does this legislation discuss the parents who allow this type of surgery to take place? Well, we know that there there are many parents who aren't involved in those decisions. That that that's that's the crazy part of this. By the way, eight, studies show that eighty percent of kids who undergo this treatment or these procedures later regret it. Eighty percent. So, um, the, the 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 parents who uh, support these decisions should be held accountable too. But we're talking about doctors that often perform these surgeries or these treatments without the approval of parents. Uh, Congressman, b- before I let you go, um, with the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade today and, and, and the overturning of, of Casey, and the, um, w- we have been watching this idea of, of will we see violence? Um, we have seen the protests at the Supreme Court justices' homes. We know that someone came from California to Maryland to, to attempt to. The desire was, the intention was to murder Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, have you been involved in any conversations? Have there been any congressional conversations other than some legislation passed about safety and security of the justices? And have, in, in your view, have there been members of Congress who have been participatory in looking the other way on violence or, in, or maybe in your view, encouraging it? Yeah, with, without a doubt. I mean, these, these Democrats have incited it. Um, they, they have, they have directly incited uh, people to show up and protest at the homes of Supreme Court justices. And it, it's despicable. It's shameful, especially with our hyper-partisan focus on these, gen- these sham January 6th hearings. At the same time, they're telling people to go protest Supreme Court justices. We have people showing up at their homes. And, you know, th- this, this ruling just came out just a few minutes ago before we hopped on this uh, interview uh, with you, Tony. I'm, I'm about to walk over to the floor of the House and cast my vote against this uh, dangerous gun control measure. And uh, when I do, I'm going to, I'm going to look out over toward the Supreme court and see what, what kind of a crowd 
uh, we have uh, showing up over there. But I, I do fear for uh, the safety of our Supreme Court justices who made a historic decision. And they've already the, the, the left is trying to was trying to pressure them to change their minds, try to influence them by protesting at their homes and and threatening them. And uh, that that's uh, shameful. That, that should never be allowed in this process that the Department of Justice has not fully uh, gone after these people who have shown up. That the Biden Department of Justice should be arresting people showing up illegally at the homes of these justices to try to try to threaten them and, and influence them. They haven't done that yet, and uh, they, they absolutely should. But we'll see what kind of uh, response occurs in the aftermath of this decision. But again, I, I just want to say that we, we, we celebrate it. It's a great day for life, and uh, the, the babies who will be saved because of this decision, um, it, it goes without being saying that that's uh, absolutely worth celebrating. Night of Rage is trending on Twitter. Sir, you go do your work. We will talk about the gun legislation maybe next week uh, with you. Congressman Jim Banks, Indiana 3rd District. Uh, Keep it right here, guys. More ahead. I'm Tony Katz.